This is Law for Community Workers On The Go, a podcast for community and health workers. Um, I suppose I never really even imagined that elder abuse existed. I think this has been a real eye-opener. I think I just had in my head that people get old and they're either looked after by their families and if they don't have family, they go to an aged care facility or a, a nursing home and they're just cared for well. You know, I I suppose I didn't really think that there was anything negative going on in the world, especially from people's families. My name is Jessica Sullivan and I work in the Community Legal Education Branch at Legal Aid New South Wales. Today we'll be speaking about elder abuse, which is a sensitive and sometimes confronting topic. We want this to be a safe space for listeners, so if you need support at any time, there are services that can help and you can find their contact details in the notes below. Also, if you suspect elder abuse may be occurring to someone in your life, then please speak up. If you're on the Central Coast, you can call the Legal Aid New South Wales Elder Abuse Service directly on 02432456611. And for anywhere else across Australia, please call the National Elder Abuse Helpline, which is 1800 353 374, and they will transfer you to the closest elder abuse service. These episodes were recorded and made on both Darkenjung and Gadigal land. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of these lands and pay our respects to their elders, past and present. We acknowledge that this is Aboriginal land, always was, always will be. Now, if you're a regular listener to our podcast, then you will have become familiar with our style. We generally tell you about a legal problem, what it is, who it can affect, and things you can do to help clients who might be experiencing it. But elder abuse is not a simple legal problem. It's complex, it comes in many forms, it doesn't discriminate across gender or cultural lines, and the abuser is often a family member, a trusted friend or a carer. This series, which we have called Hard Conversations, explores a problem that is challenging, and we know there's not going to be one right answer for every person, community or culture. So throughout this series, you're going to hear from lots of different people about their understanding of elder abuse, the ways they think about it in their communities, and how we can start to address it together. Now, as I said, there is no one right answer. There are lots of things you could do to help people who may be experiencing or are at risk of elder abuse, and we are just going to be talking about some of them. And we don't want this conversation to stop here. We want this to be ongoing. We want to hear from you. So if you have any suggestions, then please get in touch with us. Maybe you have an idea about how to talk to older people or the community about elder abuse, or maybe you want to join in the conversation and tell our listeners what you think or a bit about your experiences. So if you'd like to get in touch or send us your thoughts on this uh, series, then please send us an email at elderservice at legalaid.newsouthwales.gov.au. And a special thank you to Gambira, who has created and produced the music that we have used throughout these episodes. In this first episode, you'll be hearing from the Legal Aid New South Wales Elder Abuse Service on the Central Coast and the Central Coast Community Legal Centre. So let's get started and meet the team. Thanks, Jess. Uh, My name is Mary Lovelock and I'm the Senior Solicitor of the New Elder Abuse Service. And it's a service that's set up to help um, older people who live on the Central Coast who are experiencing or at risk of elder abuse. My name is Tanya Chapman and I'm one of the solicitors in the service. So my name is Chrissy. I'm the legal support officer for the elder abuse service at Gosford. Um, well, my name is Tracy Jackson. I am a descendant from the Bundjalung Nation. My father was from Bayugal. 
Um, I'm a social worker that identifies with being Aboriginal. I am at the Elder Abuse Unit in Gosford. Uh, okay, so my name's Bobby Murray. Um, I'm the Aboriginal worker with the Central Coast Community Legal Centre here on the Central Coast. I am there to support um, any Aboriginal client that comes through our doors um, in the way of whatever they really need. Um, if it's sitting in with um, with the lawyers to make sure that they're comfortable and they're supported, if it's to um, to help them uh, with documents, then you know I'm there to support the clients in any way they need. And I'm not a lawyer. So my name's um, Barry Duncan, commonly called BJ around the traps. I'm a Gomorrah man, originally from northwestern New South Wales, but I've lived on the Central Coast for about 50-odd years. Um, I'm also heavily involved with the Aboriginal community here on the coast, and part of that um, community is our elders' community. So I was responsible for helping set up the first Aboriginal home care services, which was Darren Merlin, which worked heavily with our um, elders, and also to um, involving our elders more with our local Aboriginal Lands Council, um, because you know there's a saying in the land rights movement that it, you know we're standing on the shoulders of giants, and a lot of those elders were were those actual giants that made those initial steps for us. I've been a social worker now for um, over five years. Prior to that, I was a welfare officer with the Department of Health, and I was a social worker at Wollongong Hospital. And I was, my background in elder abuse is I was um, a geriatric inpatient social worker. So I've seen a lot of elder abuse in, in my field of work. However, this is the first time I've ever been involved with the legal side of it. And I was, when I first came on board, I was um, saying to Mary, the manager, that if I had known as a social worker back then, that this service was available, it would have made my life and other social workers a lot easier because the legal side of things I had absolutely no idea about. The social things, well, you know, we can put strategies into place. Um, but the legal side of it, I just had absolutely no ideas. Elder abuse is a complex issue. It comes in many forms. It doesn't discriminate. There are factors that can increase a person's risk of abuse, and there are signs that you can spot. But let's start with defining it. So what is elder abuse? I like the big, broad definition that says elder abuse is any act or omission that causes an older person harm or distress, and it's in within, within a relationship of trust. And it's that last bit within a relationship of trust that really defines elder abuse and it's what makes it a really um, complex and wicked problem for us as a community to deal with. Uh, so elder abuse is any abuse of an older person by someone who is in a trusted relationship. So by someone who is a family member, a close personal friend or someone who's a carer, but it has to be in that relationship of trust where the older person is abused. So you can't be elder abused by someone you don't know. It's within that relationship of trust. And it can take the form of physical abuse, um, psychological abuse, neglect, financial and sexual abuse. And psychological abuse, um, it really just means it could be bullying, name-calling, isolating someone so they can't see family or friends or they can't interact with their community 
or can't uh, participate in religious or cultural practices, so really just isolating them so they don't have any support networks. It could also be threatening them, so emotional blackmail where you say, um, if you don't do this, you can't see your grandchildren, or if you don't give me money, I'll put you in a care home. So it could be any of that bullying, harassment, or just verbal abuse. Hmm. And financial abuse comes in a whole lot of different forms, but at the heart of it, it's uh, somebody within that trusted relationship using that older person's money and not for their interest, but for themselves. My understanding of elder abuse is, you know, is any sort of physical abuse, um, financial abuse, emotional abuse, anything um, verbal, anything that sort of like is not within the norms of of a relationship. Um, Emotional abuse, I think, is the one um, that stands out with me. We've got a lot of young Aboriginal people in relationship who don't um, stay in that relationship, for want of a better terms, and... Nan or auntie gets caught up with uh, not being able to see kids or the kids are taken away, they don't hear from the kids, they lose a bit of contact and get quite distressed about that. In the hospital, the main thing was um, physical violence or emotional abuse. So if um, somebody sort of disclosed they were living with a son and he was, you know, sort of violent... Um, taking their cards and going and taking things out of their banks and stuff like that. It was it, it was mainly that sort of, um, yeah, that financial abuse, that physical abuse. If it was physical, it was a lot more harder for us to deal with because that usually meant that the police were involved and, you know, and usually nine times out of ten these perpetrators are the carers. So it was that, you know, sort of fear of, oh, gosh, if I, you know, get the police involved, I might end up in a nursing home. Or, And this is where the legal side of it would have been beautiful for somebody to come in and get the legal, give the legal advice. Because I'm not a solicitor, I'm a social worker, so I didn't want to be giving anybody any, any you know, sort of false legal advice. So this is where the two go hand in hand because there is that fear, especially when the perpetrator is a carer. So they don't want to get, you know, police involved or take any legal action. Nine times out of ten, they just wanted to tell somebody this was happening and they wanted to speak to the social worker about it, you know, and sort of like when you sort of prompt them to say, look, you know, is there something that you want done? You know, is there something that you'd like me to do? Oh, no, I just wanted to tell somebody that this was happening. So, yeah, I mean, that was sort of like some of the things that, you know, I did see on the ward, but it was... It was really difficult because um, when you see child abuse, somebody, you know, under 18, it's mandatory to report it. You have to report it. So there was a lot more that we could do in terms of, you know, getting the police involved, getting, you know, sort of action towards the perpetrator of child abuse. When it's elder abuse, it's a bit different because they are over the age of 21 or 18. And so it's a bit difficult unless they didn't have capacity you know, um, if they didn't have capacity, sometimes we would get the tribunal, the guardianship tribunal to come in and sort of, you know, put an application in just to be able to, you know, protect that person if they didn't have the capacity to be able to sort of take care of themselves. But when they did, it was really difficult to sort of go, oh, okay, I've got to report this to the police. But it's, you know, they're adults. You can't, you know, it's really difficult. So it's got to come from them. 
but yeah. And especially if there was that domestic relationship, if there was, you know, they were living with a, a, a child or, you know, even the partner or something like that and that this was happening, it's really difficult to get that, you know, person to to um, to support them through a complaint to the police, taking legal action. And what are some of the warning signs and behaviours that could indicate an older person is experiencing abuse? One of the first key indicators for me is generally when someone else is speaking for the older person. So even if they're together, um, it might be a mother, mother and daughter in the room with me, but the daughter's the one telling me. She's saying mum needs this and mum thinks that. Well, I, I always question that and go, why isn't mum talking to me? Um, I want to hear what she has to say. So the first indicator for me is when the older person isn't present, isn't allowed to talk. And then uh, things like the older person not really knowing that about their finances. So it might be the older person not having any idea of how much money they've got in the bank. It might be the older person not having any idea of what their bills and expenses are. Um, not having access to any money at all. So there's sort of financial indicators. And then, you know, sadly with physical abuse, there's, you know, physical signs like bruises, um, cuts, unexplained, you know, marks on a person's body. And then something, you know, that you can notice over time is the older person's um, unwillingness to engage. So their unwillingness to speak up for themselves, um, to defer to the another person in the room. Even if, when you ask them questions directly, they may defer to another person in the room to speak for them. So they're just kind of subtle signs that can make you think that there's some elder abuse that's occurring within that relationship. Yeah, there's, there's indicators there like with a lot of abuse, um, not just elder abuse, but in particular... Um, as it relates to elder abuse, you know, it's the more and more isolation is a good indicator. Um, you know, wearing long, long shirts in summer periods um, is another good indicator. Um, losing just any sort of contact, um, whether that be by phone or mail or emails, um, is a really strong indicator as well. So, you know, I think we've all got to be switched on exactly about how if we're not hearing from Artie Jenny or Artie uh, Elizabeth or whatever, you know, hang on. I think I'll go out of my way to see if she's okay. I think for me it's when you've got a particularly present person in the community um, usually that they sort of all of a sudden sort of pull out of um, a lot of events or they're not voicing their opinions or they're not present in those meetings or in the community as much as they used to be and it's become either all of a sudden it can be all of a sudden or it can be sort of you know tapered off over time Um, but you remember that person as being a really strong personality and then they just disappear from the community but you know that they're around but you know you just don't know what's ever happened to them Uh, and you know it can be about you know they just defer to such and such will just speak for them um, in future but you have to be careful around some of that stuff too because it could be cultural protocol that they've passed that stuff on. 
so it's you know treading lightly and really um, making sure that you're you're getting the information from the right person can also be just um, blatant comments you hear from um, from family members or from um, from the client themselves about you know oh you know she doesn't let me talk anymore or she doesn't let me go out anymore or um, I have to live out the back in the in the granny flat and I'm not allowed inside um, or um, you know if it's the um, the other person it could be like you know oh mum she just you know we don't let her do that anymore or um, oh she's just an old biddy that you know we don't we don't listen to her anymore um, those sorts of comments that can be just throwaway comments um, but um, you know people need to take take them seriously and it might be changing circumstances of other people that are indications of older abuse so you might see a carer who is gambling away a lot more money than the carer should have I mean that to me, is an indication that the carer is getting money from somewhere and it might be very well be the person she's supposed to be caring for. Or you might um, see um, a son move his entire family in with mum and you might be thinking, well, why is he living there? Um, does she want him there? Uh, so it might be the actions of the family members or the carers that kind of trigger something in you that goes, is something okay here? <laughs> One I heard was um, when asked what the client's phone number was, she said, I'm not allowed to have a phone. Her son took it off her. So, yeah, those throwaway comments that just should trigger something. Sadly, a lot of elder abuse is about kind of diminishing the role of the person in the family. And, uh, you know, it would be easy to sort of lose your point of reference, you know, in that situation. So reconnecting with people to sort of help, you know, build your identity, hopefully will be another way to enable you to have those to have those discussions or advocate for yourself a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that you see in ageism is that people lose their identity. They're no longer Cheryl who drives a bright red car and loves dancing and is very involved in volunteer work. She's now that little old lady. So they lose their identity with age and helping them reconnect with who they are and telling them you don't have to be that little old lady who does nothing and just supports the family. You can go out and do the things you used to love doing and age shouldn't prevent you from doing that. Thanks, Tanya. That's a really good point that I'm glad you raised because we kind of have to address ageism when talking about elder abuse. So firstly, can you just give us a quick overview of what ageism actually is? Ageism is the stereotyping, prejudice and discrimination against people on the basis of their age. Uh, sometimes it can be attributing memory lapses to age. So just assuming that because they're old, that's why they're forgetting something, not because it happened 10 years ago. Uh, presuming a loss of capacity to make decisions. So based on a person's age, assuming that they can't decide or that you should make the decision for them which comes into a loss of control, just people starting to assume that because an older person might, assuming they have a loss of capacity and stepping in to make those those decisions for them and taking control over their decisions, which can also result in a loss of privacy, taking away their right to keep things private. It's also speaking down to older people, speaking about them in a syrupy voice or patronising them, speaking to them as if they're a child. 
It's been our experience in the elder abuse service that ageism sits behind elder abuse and it can present itself in a lot of different ways. As hard as it can be to admit, I think that most of us have probably held some form of ageist views or beliefs at one time or another. I mean, I know that before I had the opportunity to work in this space, I definitely made the mistake of referring to older people as cute or sweet when I was talking about them. Um, I'm now going to ask Mary and Tanya to read out a few other ageist phrases that I kept coming across while I was doing the research for this series. You might be familiar with some of these um, phrases. You might have used them yourself. Maybe we've used them ourselves. So things like, older people are useless and boring. Young people are prettier. Old people have more accidents and fall over all the time. Older people are less effective workers. They're slow and don't understand computers. Wrinkles are ugly and unattractive. Old people shouldn't make their own choices. They don't know what's best. Old people shouldn't be driving. They're slow and have more accidents. Older people have nothing to offer. Older people are cute and sweet, like that cute little old lady across the street. They don't like to celebrate birthdays. Old people are often deaf, blind, slow and uh, forgetful. Computers and mobile phones confuse them. Old people having sex is gross. Old people are a drain on our society. They get a pension and lots of free healthcare. Old people have dementia. Old people can't learn new things. They're stubborn and they can't change. Thanks for that. We just wanted to share some of those uh, with you to encourage you yourself to start thinking about and challenging your own thoughts and beliefs about age. Because for older people who may be suffering abuse or neglect, they are less likely to speak up for themselves or report anything if they have often been treated differently because of their age. So ageism can push older people into a space of powerlessness and resignation that seems to then act as a barrier to them reporting or getting help. So moving back to elder abuse, why do you think it's important for us to be having this conversation? Why should elder abuse be spoken about? I think it's important uh, to talk about elder abuse full stop because I've got very little, as I said, very little evidence about the prevalence of elder abuse, and yet the general statistics say that 10 to 14% of the population experience elder abuse. Um, we're an ageing population in Australia, and in about 10 years' time, one in five people are going to be over 65 years of age, and elder abuse can have devastating consequences. These can be um, physical, financial, emotional, and they're not just for the older person, but they're for their family and their community. But in general, we need to have conversations about what elder abuse looks like. We need to get better at supporting those conversations in communities. Oh, look, um, it's like anything, I suppose. If you don't start talking, it'll continue. Um, and where do you make it um, stop is by talking. And to get somebody to a stage that they're comfortable with exposing that is another sort of separate issue as well. But at the same time, it's that initial you know, tap on the shoulders, I'm here to listen to you if you want to, you know, talk and stuff like that. Oh, you really don't have to put up with that is another way of putting it across. I think um, particularly for Aboriginal communities that we don't like, for a start, you know, Aboriginal people don't like um, talking to lawyers or um, the justice, anyone in the justice system just in generally anyway. So, you know, you're not going to get um, people that are just going to walk in the door and just say, you know, I've got an elder abuse problem. 
Secondly, you know, things around, you know, getting the message right and, and clear to people about what it actually is, because a lot of people just either don't know how to identify what um, elder abuse is. And also, I think that in Aboriginal communities, we tend to keep a lot of stuff in-house. You know, even though they know that it's elder abuse, they don't want to. And I think, you know, this probably happens in a lot of communities, not just Aboriginal communities. But, um, you know, they know that the abuse is happening or that it's, you know, for example, like financial abuse and say it's, you know, an elder with um, their grandchild, for example. They're not going to sort of, you know, for want of a better word, um, dob them in um, because it's their grandchild. You know, they, they're just not going to say, you know, I don't want to get them in trouble because, you know, that's going to be too easy for them to get picked up by the police and get charged and be jailed. And, you know, these sort of things are the things that's going through somebody's head. Look, um, I think I come from a culture that's quite rich on the concept of looking after our elders. So, you know, any form of assault or any form of neglect towards our elders is an affront to me as an Aboriginal man. I think it's um, highly important that we as Aboriginal people stick to our age-old belief that our elders, you know, are our lifeblood. And I think keeping that motto in line puts everything into perspective when you're dealing with it. It's services that haven't got um, any cultural awareness or any, um, you know, Aboriginal initiative within their organisation, like a reconciliation action plan or something like that, wouldn't, wouldn't know about the understanding about, you know, our elders and their high status within our community. And I think, you know, if this... If neglect or abuse has happened to elders, it's pretty much um, below the surface. It's not talked about, but, you know, our community has also been renowned for being able to listen and learn. We have to break through those barriers of personal shame that some people might feel, as well as um, those kind of social norms where people say, don't air your your dirty laundry, or, you know, we just don't reveal this kind of thing in public. Or also the people. It's family business. Yeah. It's family business. So they tend to keep it private and then they don't get the help they need. Um, so we need to break through that to say, um, you know, it's it's not that you're airing your dirty laundry, it's you're protecting yourself and you're getting help and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And by not talking about it, they're just, you know, perpetuating the whole cycle of abuse by kind of internalising it. So... We need to get better about having those conversations. Um. Just hearing you now, it's it sounds a lot like um, like domestic violence. You know, say no to silence, to violence. Um, you know, that you know people just tend to be silent about it because it's all in house and it's all yeah, airing the dirty laundry. And sometimes I think you know if you've been in a relationship or a family. That's all. That's your only frame of reference. And if there has been dysfunction in that family for a very long time, you kind of lose your boundaries about, you know, um, what's okay and what's not so, what's not okay. And so, you know, community workers play such an important role because they come in as a fresh face. They come in as a new perspective, um, and I don't expect them to be able to have those difficult conversations about elder abuse first off it's something you kind of work towards but it's something that we need to we need to be brave about having those conversations get better about having them
And um, we've got a case with exactly that situation where um, an older lady who had been married for um, more than 50 years to her husband, only in the last couple of years, had seen a caseworker um, somehow linked up with a social service and talked to a caseworker and explained some of the stuff that was ex- she was experiencing at home. And the caseworker said to her, that's abuse. That's not normal behaviour. Um, because her husband was dominating, he dominated the finances, he kept information secret from her, he made her pay for everything out of her own money, even joint household expenses, um, and he was physically abusive as well, And but just mainly domineering and verbally abusive. And it was the caseworker who said to her, that's abuse, you don't need to put up with this. And when she was talking to me and she said, oh, the caseworker told me this is abuse, She was surprised, but she was also almost relieved that it wasn't normal and she didn't have to put up with it. That somebody else could name it for her and say those words that she could identify with and over time tell more of the story. I'm sure that it's it's out there, you know, elder abuse is out there within the Aboriginal community. It's just sort of like being able to discuss it. It's a very sensitive topic, very sensitive within the Aboriginal community well, you know, within any community, but especially with the Aboriginal community because you're meant to take care of your elders. And when you have a family member that's not doing that, it's really difficult and shameful. The experience that I've had um, on the wards with the people that I spoke to, it's mainly family. It's mainly children. <laughs> Elder abuse is, occurs within that relationship of trust and it's probably no surprise that over 50% of people who are perpetrating elder abuse are adult sons and daughters. It also can include a spouse or a partner, and it also can be, you know, carers, other relatives, friends, but overwhelmingly it's those close family members, and that's what makes it so difficult because uh, once you're a parent, you're always a parent, and it's very difficult sometimes for older people to be able to feel free to speak up about some really unsatisfactory behaviour of their own of their own family. There are a lot of voices and opinions to be heard throughout these episodes. We would like to thank everyone who participated and shared their opinions and expertise with us. If you'd like to join the conversation, please send us an email at elderservice at legalaid.newsouthwales.gov.au. And as always, if you or someone you know is experiencing or at risk of elder abuse, then please speak up. If you're on the Central Coast, contact the Elder Abuse Service on 4324 5611. And for all other areas across Australia, you can call the National Elder Abuse Helpline on 1800 353 374 and you'll be directed to your closest service. So until next time, thanks from all of us at the Community Legal Education Branch and Elder Abuse Service from Legal Aid New South Wales.